we're in this series called Joy, which is uh, many, uh, several commentators would look at the uh, letter of Paul to the Philippians as a letter of joy. Um, there's uh, not only the mention of the word in it, but there's a tremendous amount of joyfulness that Paul has in relationship uh, to the people of Philippi. Philippi is in Asia Minor. It's um, uh, a, a really a fascinating little uh, church and story from the first century. Our text this morning uh, comes from verses 12 through uh, 18 uh, in the second chapter. Uh, John, a couple weeks ago, talked about the root of joy being love. Last week, we talked about the character of it being uh, humility. And this week, uh, we're going to talk together about what does it look like for us to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Hear God's word. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more in now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. Pray with me. God, in this remarkable time in our world, it is not a time for the faint of heart. Help us to stand with your character. Shape us this day, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make three observations and three summarizations about this text. So the first observations are these. The text says, live out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It does not say, earn your salvation. Got it? It doesn't say, go make it for yourself. It says, live it out. Which means, demonstrate the truth humbly before the world. The second thing it says is do it without murmuring or arguing. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I haven't met a church yet that doesn't do those things most of the time. Murmuring and arguing. It's what we talked about last week. The self-emptying of rights and privilege. The Christian character, the character of Jesus, is self-emptying. It's setting aside my rights and my privilege. The way I think things should be. And submits my life to Jesus and Jesus' ways. Well, to what end? It is God's good pleasure 
that you would shine like stars and God can be proud of you and be proud of others and that others would know his goodness because of your behavior. That others would know the goodness of God because you live the goodness of God. This morning, I'd like to demonstrate these characteristics through some observations in a book that um, is going to be made into a movie pretty soon. It's called The Boys in the Boat, up here on the screen. Some of you have read it in the past. Some of you heard about it. Um, it's, the title of the book is called The Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest uh, for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics by Daniel James Brown, not to be confused, confused with the Daniel Brown of, of, you know, all that other stuff. Um, can't even remember his books. I never read them. Uh, uh, but George Clooney is uh, producing a film on, on this. It is one of those, it, it'll remind you, I think, a little bit of, um, of inspirational films you've seen in the past because the story is so powerful. Um, it, it might remind you of Eric Little and, and the story of Chariots of Fire. It's got those qualities to it. It's a great study in leadership and community, even of gospel and discipleship. Our first, my first observation from this text is live out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Humbly demonstrate the truth of the grace you've received. This book is about rowing and rowing in an eight-person skull and having these people in these boats for the University of Washington uh, in the 30s, in the middle of the Depression, coming to the university, and, and they competed uh, with the likes of, of Berkeley was one of the big schools at the time in rowing, and then, of course, the Ivy League schools on the East Coast. But the two big programs on the West were uh, University of Washington and Cal. Listen to how, some, one of the, how the author describes rowing. It is hard to make that boat go as fast as you want to. The enemy, of course, is the resistance of the water. As you have to displace the amount of water equal to the weight of the men and equipment. But that very water is what supports you. And that very enemy is your friend. So is life. The very problems you must overcome also support you and make you stronger in overcoming them. What a thoughtful statement. The enemy isn't your competition in the other boats. The enemy is all that you've brought with you and learning to, in some way, realize that the resistance itself is a friend. The enemy is not recognizing it. 
that the enemy itself, that the resistance is a friend, a teacher, and the thing that supports you as well as slows you. Our circumstances teach us, push us, lean against us, challenge us to grow and to learn. The enemy is not resistance, but what would steer us off the path. The enemy is anything that would take us away from the character of Jesus. It's been hard in the last week, hasn't it, to watch the news and the horrific things that happened in Israel and now the horrific things that are happening in Gaza. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I heard long ago that if we keep practicing that, the whole world will be blind and toothless. But more than that, we know that the violence doesn't solve anything. Why? Because Jesus tells us. Return evil with good, not evil. And my heart breaks this week because no one wants to hear it. No one wants to hear the character of Jesus. And the enemy is that we would abandon our ways as Christians and seek another way. I know it's hard to hear. And it may be hard to adopt. And you might be with people around you that just say, let's do an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. This thing must be, uh, we must have revenge. But we know it doesn't make any difference. It's just more dead people. The enemy is not the resistance, but that which would steer us away from following Jesus to get us off course. The text says, do it with no murmuring or arguing. Okay. Be different. I've talked about this a lot over the last two years. Can you believe it's been two years? Um, (laughs) Some of you go, yeah, it feels like five. Um, But do it without murmuring or arguing. Be different because you have been loved by God and you've been given grace. You didn't earn God's love. You don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve grace or forgiveness or any of it. But God has given this to you as a gift. And so when you look around in the room and you think of those that aren't here and you begin to think of your relationship to others. No murmuring, no arguing. Pay attention to the ways of Jesus. In this book, The Boys in the Boat, the main character is a young man named Joe. He worked up in, um, he worked up in the Northwest. He grew up there uh, during the Depression and when he was uh, 
really young, he went to work on the Grand Coulee Dam Project, at the time the largest dam project in the world. And uh, he went to work there, as did thousands of, of men during the Depression. It was dangerous work. It was hazardous. It was hard. And he went over to the central part of, of the state um, and, and uh, up north and worked on this thing. He uh, was uh, watching often. He, he grew up farming and he knew about it. And he would watch uh, this uh, man who was uh, uh, guiding a team of horses. Um, Dee's dad had a team of horses. And they were called what, Dee? Nip and tuck. Um, not to be confused with the TV show. But um, uh, B-rated G. Um, and, uh, and nip and tuck. And, and, and he would watch Charlie McDan- McDonald guide this team of horses, pulling logs and doing that um, while he was working on the dam site. And Charlie... Um, uh, this is what it says in the text. It says, Charlie had been gassed in the Great War. That'd be World War I. His vocal cords all but destroyed. At best, he could manage croaks and whispers. And as they worked together with this team of horses, Joe observed and marveled at how Charlie would command the ponderous draft horses to do his bidding with a barely audible gee or ha or as often as not simply a whistle and nod of his head. Charlie would give a signal, and in unison, Fritz and Dick, which is their names, would squat down on their haunches while he chained them up. He'd give another signal, and the two would rise and pull as if they were one horse, their movements crisply synchronized. And they pulled with all their hearts. When horses pulled like that, Charlie told Joe, They could pull far more than twice what each could pull on their own. They'd pull, he said, till the log moved, the harness broke, or their hearts gave out. We love because God first loved us. There's no murmuring or arguing among God's people. It's not how we are to behave because we've been loved. We don't strive against Jesus and we're not to strive against each other. We're to be teamed. No more being arguing. It's just statements about symptoms. The symptoms of the fact that we often work against the very things God wants us to do. In unison. Jesus is the one guiding us, listening to us, and giving us direction. God's heart was broken for you and me. Will we work until the resistance is overcome or our hearts give out? Will we live like Jesus with each other and before the world 
until our hearts give out. It is the challenge before the church, before this congregation, will we work until our hearts give out? Not murmuring about, gosh, we're smaller than we used to be. Not grumbling about finances. Not murmuring how long is it going to take to find the next pastor. Not grumbling about this or the next thing. But working together, giving everything until our hearts give out. And what does that look like? It means working together to this end for God's good pleasure as a witness to God's rightness and truth. Our behavior before the world is our witness. So if we're murmuring and arguing as a people, what kind of witness is it? Oh, it's a witness, just not a very good one. I mean, everything we do is a witness. Everything we say is a witness. Not all of it helps Jesus' cause. Some does. So how do we do it? The coach, coach's last name at the University of Washington was Pocock. And he would often talk with Joe. Joe um, was not a rower when he arrived at the, at the university, but he was strong. He had worked up at that dam, and he worked long days, and he had learned how to row. And his coach pulled him aside, and he said this. He suggested that Joe... Think of a well-rowed race as a symphony and himself as just one player in the orchestra. If one fellow in an orchestra was playing out of tune or playing at a different tempo, the whole piece would naturally be ruined. That's the way it was with rowing. What mattered more than how hard a person rowed was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other fellows were doing. And a person couldn't harmonize with their crewmates unless they opened their heart to them. Joe had to care about his crew. It wasn't just the rowing, but his crewmates that he had to give himself up to. Even if it meant getting his feelings hurt. Pocock paused and looked at Joe. If you don't like some fellow in the boat, Joe, you have to learn to like him. It has to matter to you whether that person wins the race, not just whether you do. He told Joe to be careful not to miss this chance. And he reminded him that he had already learned to row past pain, past exhaustion, past the voice that told him it couldn't be done. That meant he had an opportunity to do things most 
men would never have a chance to do. And he concluded with a remark that Joe would never forget. Joe, when you really start trusting those other boys, you will feel a power at work within you that is far beyond anything you've ever imagined. Sometimes you will feel as if you have rowed right off the planet and are rowing among the stars. Paul says, shine like stars. That's what we're to do. But what that means is to get there is that I have to take you as seriously as you do. I have to take your world as seriously as you take it. Your perspectives. I've got to want you to win in this life more than myself. I need the other person to succeed. The person whose political ideas I'm against. The person whose whose ideas of the Bible are sketchy as far as I'm concerned. The person who uh, doesn't live the way they're supposed to. Or the person that, that just, oh, every time I'm around, their, their voice grates on my, my nerves. I need that person to succeed more than myself. Don't miss this chance that's before this church right now to shine like stars in a world desperate for the love and compassion of Jesus. I think the world has stopped hoping that the church would behave like Jesus. I don't think the world gives us a second thought. And the only way for those outside of this kind of gathering to pay attention is if we behave radically different than everyone else. And we live out the character of Jesus before our neighbors and friends and those we have yet to meet. A love that demonstrates the other is more important than the self. Amen.